Romans 5, verses 1 through 11. If you'll turn there, I'll read it for us. The sermon today is going to be talking about rejoicing in God's love. Rejoicing in God's love. Well, let's see about that. Romans 5, 1 through 11. If you'll stand together as we read God's word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Uh, as Reggie said, last week ended the capital campaign. Um, by the way, I'm David Heinrichs, the director of youth and college ministries here at Christ Community Church. I'm not the pastor of the church. And so if this is your first time, uh, you'll have to come back next week uh, to hear from Pastor Paul. But I'm, uh, last week we ended our capital campaign. And there's this overwhelming sense throughout the whole church of whew, just relief. We can breathe again, finally. Uh, it was a great, you know, if, if a building came down from heaven, built, it still would be a healthy exercise, wasn't it? I mean, we, we found out what our foundations were. Uh, we remembered our foundations. It was a great time, essential. Next week, Paul Phillips will begin a new series based on the book, The Enemy Within. That sounds uplifting. Um, the, you have an enemy and it is inside of you, so... Many of you have bought the book and are reading it even now. The book and Paul's sermons will be dealing with sin. So come back next week for a great time in the Lord. I'm sure it'll be great. Um, actually, it's not just about sin. It's not just the clouds are gathering and we're going to talk about sin. It's ever more important idea of defeating sin in our lives. Defeating sin in our lives. So come back next week for that. This morning, we're going to look at Christian joy, rejoicing in God's love. The text, of course, is Romans 5, 1 through 11. We'll be referring to it, so if you turn there and keep a note of it. I remember my first week as a waiter. Some of you are waiters now. You, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about in a moment. 
I was in college, a freshman, and I worked at Marie Callender's restaurant. You've probably bought their frozen foods at the grocery store, uh, but there is a full-service restaurant in California. I was in Fresno at the time, and it was my first week. Now, this restaurant is a full-service restaurant. It has everything from salads to steaks on the menu. There's a full bar, two bartenders, and every mixed drink you could possibly think of. And I had to memorize it all. I, I, there were 30-plus pies. They're known for pies. And I'm not kidding, 30 varieties of pies. I didn't even know, including mincemeat. So some of these pies I'd never heard of before. Well, that first week, I was trying to memorize the menu, trying to remember the difference between this drink and that drink, trying to remember everything. And it was Thursday night, and the dinner rush hit. And for four hours, it was it was painful. There was a never-ending stream of five or more tables filled with demanding people wanting their cold coffee warmed up, the pickles off their hamburgers. I have too many tomatoes on my salad. I mean, it, I wanted meringue on my coconut pie, not whipped cream. It went on and on. It was a madhouse. And I was falling ever, ever more behind. It was funny. I remember one key moment. Um, I, I was carrying potato cheese soup and I tripped and the potato cheese soup landed on the dark blue carpet and I just about screamed. I had reached my end. I was panicking with so much stress and so many things to do, I could hardly keep my head on straight. I got stiffed four times that night. Walked out of the restaurant with $10 in my pocket. And that was just because they felt sorry for me. The, the cooks were angry at me. Customers were angry at me. I was closing my station, and I remember the manager came up to me and said, David, I've got some feedback for you. And I thought, okay, this is it. This has been a good gig. I'm ready to go. Let's go down the street to the next restaurant. But he said this, David, I saw how you waited your, watched how you waited your tables, and you should change one thing. I said, did you really see how I waited my tables? I mean, one thing? Just one? And he said, David, you need to add joy to your job. He used that phrase. You need to add joy to your job. Just smile a little bit more. Look, Marie Callender's is supposed to be a happy place where people come and eat, and they're happy. So, look, just add a little joy to your job. He hit me on the side of the arm and said, see you tomorrow. And he walked away. And as he walked away, I looked at him and I said, you know, his, his mind is in neutral. His mouth is in gear, but his mind is in neutral, right? If he was a clock, he'd be missing some numbers. This guy is crazy. Add a little joy to my job. Are you crazy? Look, I just barely could keep up with all of the details and all the pies, and I was just going nuts. And I'm just supposed to add a little joy, and then I'm, I'm good to go? That's ridiculous. I have no room. I have no time for joy. Some of us... Some of us, I think, have that attitude in our Christian lives. I know I, I do a lot. We simply can't add joy to our lives. We're just barely getting along. You know, this is the truth. We're supposed to be far more happy than those without Christ. We're, we're redeemed. But so often, many Christians, as Swindoll says, act like they've been baptized in lemon juice. Come and follow Christ. I guess, you know, I, come and follow Christ. You'll have to buy a book and you'll have to read through some genealogies. And, yeah, you'll, you'll probably have to follow some rules, too. Um, and watch out for the deacons. They're, some of them are mean. 
I don't want to I don't want to go home to be with a bunch of people like that. I don't want to live my life that way. Why is it that we can't experience Christian joy so often here on earth? Why do we say, if I just endure to the end, I'll get my just reward? I don't want to live my life like that. I mean, where's the joy? Where's the genuine rejoicing? Where'd it go? I'm not talking about a phony plastic smile that you wear on Sunday morning. That appeals to no one, especially God. I'm not talking about a clever joke that makes you laugh. I'm not talking about a personality. He's always happy. He's never smile. He's never sad. He's always smiling. I'm not talking about some kind of positive thinking or 10 steps to make you convinced that life is wonderful. You know, if we were honest, life isn't wonderful. It stinks sometimes. All of those things are weightless air. You can't even see them, much less build your life on them. Where is the genuine cheerfulness in, in our lives? If you were to rate your level of joy from 1 to 10, what number would that be? Well, we have an unstoppable optimism here in Romans 5. Joyce, rejoicing in the midst of suffering. The question before the house is, can we experience the joy of Romans 5? Paul, the apostle, says yes, and he shows us how. Let me give you another picture. It was my wedding day. My wedding day. You remember your wedding day. I mean, look, stress couldn't even get close. That word doesn't do justice. Marie Callender's was a walk in the park compared to my wedding day. I remember being so stressed with all the details I had to do. And they were ever so more important than filling someone's coffee mug up. I was getting married and I was stressed. My brother sat me down the night before. I remember he said, David, relax, relax. No one's even looking at you. It's all about the bride. Look, you could fall over dead on stage and nobody would notice. Right? That's how I felt. But that day, it didn't really help. His advice didn't really help me very much. I looked at the video this last week with Shelley and Hope and to be honest, I, I saw myself doing things, but I don't remember doing any of those. I was panic. There was no room in my life for anything. I was just so stressed and anxious. But, you know, my wedding day was mark, markedly different than the night at Marie Callender's. And here's the difference. After my father-in-law uh, gave Shelley away to be married, Shelley came up on stage and took my hands and looked into my eyes and we smiled at each other. It was one of those moments. And I looked again, and I saw Shelly. And she was looking at me and smiling the smile that always softens my edges. She accepted me. I started thinking about that. She wants to live her whole life with me. Wow, I fooled her into this, didn't I? That's amazing. And in that moment, as we held hands and I felt her and I saw her, the stress, it disappeared. Shelley swept away the stress and the anxiety and replaced it with joy. No longer was I thinking of the many duties I had to perform or all of the tasks I was focused on Shelley. I started to remember the songs we were, that were going to be sung. I remembered... We're going to be on a honeymoon in 12 hours. 
I remembered that Shelly is the soft spot in my schedule. And I was overcome with joy. I felt like David in Psalm 28. It's on the front of your bulletin. Psalm 28, it goes, my heart leaps. It leaps for joy. And I will give thanks to him in song. Is your heart leaping for joy? That's what Paul's talking about here in Romans 5. Do you see it? The key to Christian joy is a matter of focus. It's focus. What did I focus on at my wedding day that led to the experience of joy? I focused on Shelley and her love, our love. So what should we as believers focus on to allow us to have joy? And it's that same thing. God's love, rejoicing in God's love. Let's let's take a look at the text. It says in uh, verse two. Take a look at verse two. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces hope and hope does not put us to shame or your Bible might say disappoint us. Because of something. How is it that a Christian can go through suffering and still rejoice? Think about that. How is it a Christian can go through suffering and rejoice? I am sinking deep in sin. I'm just happy as a lark, right? I'm skipping through the daisies with six arrows in my back. Is it denial? What is it? What, what are we talking about here? It says very clearly the key is in verse 5. And this hope does not put us to shame or disappoint us because, and here it is, the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. And for, for most of the rest of the passage, I mean, there's other things in this passage you could talk about. But Paul seems to center on God's love. Do you see that? I missed it. <laughs> I've read this passage a hundred times. I've, I missed it a hundred times. It's love. God's love will sweep away the anxiety and stress and replace it with joy. I know that kind of sounds like a fairy tale. But Paul is telling us something very real and very practical. Thinking. Thinking about God's love brings joy. Let's look and see how deep God's love is. I want to spend some time thinking about God's love this morning. And you'll find as you do it will bring you joy. If someone per- performs an act of love to you, uh, there's many ways you can see how deep that love is. You can evaluate it. You know, a, a $2 gift certificate from a millionaire, you know, may not be that great. Hey, you re- remember the uh, TV show The Simpsons? Homer Simpson, on the, the birthday of his, his wife, I, I don't watch that show, by the way. I don't ever, I, I read this somewhere. But Marge Simpson's having a birthday, and Homer Simpson gives Marge Simpson a gift. And she opens it up and opens it, and it's a bowling ball. And she's a little confused. A bowling ball? And she looks up and says, I don't bowl. And, and Homer's like, well. Uh, and she picks up the ball, and she turns it over, and has the initials H.S. Homer Simpson. So, so obviously, that's not true love. That's not a gift of true love. So we can evaluate Love to see if it's genuine or true. What about God? How did God give or put it this way? How deep is God's love? 
How deep is God's love? I think that's the reason Paul talks so much about God's love here in this passage. He's telling us that if we think about God's love, we can rejoice in the midst of suffering. You might miss it if you don't look carefully. So let's look carefully. There are three ways I think you can see the depth of God's love in this morning's passage. Let me list them for you. Three things. First, you can see the depth of God's love by how undeserving the recipient is. You don't deserve the love, but you get it anyway. That's deep. You can also see, number two, the depth of God's love by how costly it is to give. If it's not costly, it's not deep. Number three, you can see the depth of God's love by experiencing it firsthand. By experiencing it firsthand. Quickly, number one, we can see the depth of God's love by how undeserving we are of that love. Where do we find ourselves? Let's go to the text now and look and find ourselves in the text. Romans 5, 1 through 11. Where do you see it? You see it in verse 6, for example. For while we were still weak, At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Two descriptive words of you and me. Both of them say, hey, you're not deserving this love. We were powerless. We were weak. We were unable to help ourselves. Read on in verse 7. It says, there's a righteous man and there's a good man. But we're neither. You know, I was thinking about the difference between the righteous man and the Good man, and there's a lot of different opinions about that, but one of them is this. The righteous man does all the right things. And, and he's, and he's good. I mean, he's not good. He just does all the right things right. He's, he's one of those people that does everything correctly. Scarcely will anyone die for that person. However, a good man, someone you have affection with, if you ascribe the, the label good to somebody, somehow there's sort of, Affection towards you. Have, you share some kind of affection. Maybe someone would die for that. Maybe someone would die for a good man. But look, the truth is we're neither. We're neither. Read on. While we were yet sinners, the idea is that at just the right time, while we were yet or still sinners, maybe even in the act of a heinous sin, maybe sinning right then and there, Christ loved us. So we were powerful. I mean, powerless to help ourselves. We were sinners at the time of Christ's love. This is how we were found. Now, I I realize probably for most of us, this is not something new. And I would say most of what I'm going to say today probably isn't something new. But do we need to remember this? Don't forget where God found you. There's nothing in us that deserves God's love. God's love is not payment for a service that you've rendered. There's no value in me or you at all. Now, I might get in trouble to say this, and I think I'll overstep my my bounds here, but I'm going to go ahead and say it anyways. The couch is comfortable. I'm convinced that Valentine's Day gifts are not gifts. Have you thought about that? Valentine's Day gifts are not truly gifts. I know I'm going to get in trouble. Here it is. Valentine's Day gifts are payments in some other kind of of services rendered. Why do I say that? I think you'll get the same response from an employee who doesn't receive a paycheck than you will for a spouse who doesn't receive a Valentine's Day gift. 
Well, that, that may not be true. That's probably not true. But you have to admit, I, and I don't even think I agree with that. But really, think about it. There's some kind of expectation on Valentine's Day. Is there not? All the guys are saying, <laughs> that's right. There's some kind of expectation. Like, I deserve the gift. I'm your spouse. And a good one at that. This is what Paul's talking about in verse 7. Notice, for a righteous man, someone might die, or even for a good man, Aren't I good enough to warrant a dozen roses? Well, let's say you give that same gift. Guys, think about it. If you give the same gift you gave on Valentine's Day on April 3rd or September 10th or a random day out of the year and you say, I'm just thinking about you. There's no expectation of me having to give this gift to you. I gave it without an expectation. There is a sense that that gift carries more weight in a sense. The love is demonstrated at just the right time when no one expected it. At just the right time when no one expected it. No one deserved it. It wasn't payment for any service that was rendered. That's how God gave. So you and I wouldn't forget that we did nothing to deserve it. Let me just read, uh, and you can turn on the front part of your bulletin uh, to Ezekiel 16, 4 to 6. Listen to how Ezekiel describes Israel because it's how Paul is describing you and me here. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, nor rubbed with salt, nor wrapped in swaddling clothes. No eye pitied you to do any of these things to you out of compassion for you. But you were cast out into the open field, for you were abhorred on the day that you were born. And here it is. And when I passed by and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you in your blood at just the right time, right then, live. Now, that's worth celebrating. That's where Christ, that's where he found you. But, you know, Paul gets a little bit more sinister than that. We can't just say that's all he says about us. Where else do we see our description? Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? You see, now we're not talking about what we can't do. I want you to see this. It's not what we can't do because we're powerless. It's what we won't do because we're enemies. There's a different feel to that word, enemies, than the word powerless or weak. There's a sense of we desire his destruction. We say to God, I want you to die. Not just saying, God, you do your thing and I'm going to do my thing, but going further to say, I hate you. I want you dead. I want to put nails in your hands and whip you and mock you. We're enemies. You see, the I cannot, the I cannot in verse 6 becomes the I will not in verse 10. Spurgeon says this, our whole head is sick. Filled with the disease of sin, overflowing with hatred, malice, greed, 
And here it is. The worst part is that we love the very evil which is destroying us. We're enemies of God. Look, there's nothing joyful about that. But there is something joyful about Romans 5 when it says, while we were yet an enemy in the very act of a heinous sin, Christ loved you. There's the joy. If you forget that you're undeserving as a Christian, the joy will disappear. It's kind of like giving a bouquet of flowers on a random day to your least favorite person. So God's love is deep because we are undeserving. He gives it even though we don't deserve it. Second, let's see something else. Let's see how deep God's love is because of how costly it was for God. Now, you should already be there. Christ died. There's no other there's no other way to talk about it. That is the most costly gift he could have given. He died. He gave his life. Verse six, for one will scarcely die for a righteous man. We're talking about value of life. I'm not going to give it up, though. For a good person, someone might even dare to die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ gave up his life completely and died for us. Pain, agony, embarrassment, shame on the cross, isolated and alone. And, and, and this is the thing that I thought about. The, the peace of him dying that really hurts is he was abandoned by his own father. Youth pastors get in town. The youth pastors in town get together every month and we have lunch. And, and at these lunches, we have a great time talking about our ministries and sharing prayer requests. And, and it's, it's a great time. Well, last December... We got together for a book exchange, you know, the Christmas annual book exchange. And so everybody was supposed to buy a book, not with the church's money, but with your money, buy a book and wrap it up and put it in the pile. And, you know, the game, you pick one and someone steals it. It's, it's a fun game. Well, we did that. But you know what? Nobody really did that. Nobody did that. Hear me. Nobody did that. I, I got a, a book off my shelf that I got at some conference somewhere that I was never going to read. But it was a good book, but just not for me. And I wrapped that one up. A guy from the Methodist church down the street, he regifted his book from last year. Yeah, it gets worse. One of the ladies in there, she's a youth pastor in town, she gave an entertainment book. It was a leftover one from last year's fundraiser. It was almost, it wasn't worth very much. It's kind of going to end in 20 days. And, and furthermore, Another guy gave a book of, I'm not kidding you, James E. Pierce, the executive director of Presbyterian USA. He found it on the office floor next door, the floor of the office next door. He found it. Just, hey, this is old. This is like 10 years old. And he just wrapped it up and gave it. We had a lot of fun with that. But the point is this, and this is what I thought. No one gave. Didn't cost him anything. No one gave It's not a true gift. God is not giving us a gift like that. He didn't give us some secondhand gift or he had received or wasn't going to use or something found on the floor. He didn't give us a gift that he really wasn't going to use. He gave us his only son. Now, at different phases of my life, I begin to appreciate God's love differently. And now that I'm a father, I think... I think there's a new level for me of understanding this depth of God's love. I guess nobody told me. or Maybe I wasn't listening. But now I get it. Any father of a daughter, you know this. This is the principle. 
men are the enemy. When I think of hope and I think of men, that's what comes to my mind. And I'm not saying it's true and I'm not saying it's right. I didn't read it in a book and say, oh, that's, that's a logical conclusion. No, it's probably not even true. But it's an impulsive reaction, an instinct, if you will, right? And it comes out mostly in the mall. Oh, she's a cute little girl. Let me pinch her cheeks. And I say, pinch her cheeks, see what happens. <laughs> and I think that the account, the account is, I, I think I start to growl a little bit, like a dog, you know, you know I think that's kind of what I do. I, I can't help it. You know, I was on the internet just recently and I found this great resource for fathers. Um, and I can sell it to you for after the service would be fine. But it's a, it's an application to date my daughter. You've probably seen it. You, you probably use it, right? Of course. Well, let me just say this. Uh, <laughs> there's some questions on the application I'm going to read to you. Uh, so if you want to date, date my daughter, just fill out this application. First question. Do you own a van? That's key. Do you have any of the following? An earring, a nose ring, a belly button ring, or piercings of any other part of your body? If so, please leave. Uh, church you attend. How often? Best time to interview your pastor. That's a good thing to add. Uh, please fill in the blank freely. All answers will, of course, be confidential. A, if I were beaten, the last bone I would want to be broken is... That's, that's crucial for a father to know. I think you need to know that. And, and B, I think you're subtly communicating that one. B, the one thing I hope this application does not ask me is, I love this application. I can go on. It, you know, it's not that I hate men. It's that I love my daughter. It's that I love my daughter. And I, I look at God and I say in a new and fresh way, God, I get it. You know, like never before, being a father has opened my eyes to the depth of God's love. I could not imagine giving up my daughter. Hope. Whipped. Mocked. Beaten. Lying on a cross. Dying a slow death. And then me. Turning my back. Oh, the depth of God's love for me. His only son died for me. You know, you've heard it said, if you've been around church long enough, been around services, you've heard grace is free. You know it is, but it's not. It's not for Christ. His gift was costly. It was deep. I want you to stop this morning. Stop and think. Turn off the TV. Put the magazine down. Disconnect the Internet and all the emails. Turn your cell phones off. And for a moment, think about God's love. You know, the songs we sing. Don't just sing them. Think about them. Think about the words. I'm going to read some lyrics, the songs we sing each and every week. See if you can catch it. God's love, appreciating it, and being filled with this indescribable joy. Listen. And the old rugged cross, stained with blood so divine, a wondrous 
beauty I see. For twas on that old cross Jesus suffered and died to pardon and sanctify me. So I'll cherish the old rugged cross. And when I think that God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died to take away my sin. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain. For me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me? My sin, comma. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. How much does God love you? Thirdly, we can see how deep God's love is, not only by how undeserving we are and how costly the gift is, but we can see how deep God's love is and experience joy because we experience it firsthand. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 3, I'm just going to read a portion of it. Ephesians chapter 3, we'll start in verse 19. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's kind of a hard verse. Think about think, think about the words here. I'll read it again. And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Well, that's what we're trying to do here. We're trying to know or understand the depth of God's love. What does he mean? Surpasses knowledge. Does that mean it's impossible to understand God's love? No, I would say no. Paul is saying here that the knowledge is not enough. God's love goes beyond or surpasses knowledge. So if knowledge isn't enough, what do I need? What else is there? Let's start at verse 14 and see if you can pick it up. Verse 14, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power. And here it is. Through this, his spirit in your inner being, through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength or have what it takes to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, turn back, if you would, to Romans 5, and we'll read verse 5. And if you never hear anything else this morning, hear this. Hear this, verse 5. And this hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. What does that mean? Well, frankly, it means we need to experience God's love. See, there's a big difference between knowing about God's love and experiencing God's love. My hope is that I, as I describe God's love, as you sing about it, as we speak about it, that the Holy Spirit, on an intimate level, individually, in your heart, in your innermost being, would make it precious to you and make it real to you. One of the main reasons God gave us the Holy Spirit is so that he might pour out his love into our hearts. You know, this also means that anyone without the Holy Spirit, if you do not have the Holy Spirit, then God's love is not being poured out into your heart. Without the Holy Spirit, we are disconnected. Without the Holy Spirit, we are nature, we're flesh, and God's love is spiritual. We have to go beyond knowledge and experience it firsthand. We don't need, we don't need to throw knowledge away. I'm not saying history and theology is worthless. Let's just skip that and get right to the experience of God's love. Paul doesn't do that here. He says Christ died for the ungodly. That's a historical fact. That's theology. But he also says that God pours his love out into our hearts. There's some observations here. I guess we we could make many, but here's just a couple. First, if you say you don't need to understand theology and history, you run the risk of becoming a cultist. You're purely emotional, centered on the here and now. You're incomplete. On the other hand, if you say that you only understand God's love by reading about it or taking seminary classes, you'll just become an academic, a barren wasteland, an intellectual. You are also incomplete. In Romans 5, Paul writes about both of those things. Here's the way Paul always likes to talk about God's love. Both. Objective knowledge and subjective experience. Both. You know, when the youth ministry went to Carowinds this last fall, I went with them. I paid my ticket, but I didn't ride a single ride. I was scared. But I, I went to the general manager, Steve. He and I went to college together. He's a good friend of mine. So Steve set me up with, um, he said, he, it was amazing. He said, the guy who built top Gun is here. The engineer. I said, hey, I'm not riding it. Can I just go meet this engineer and talk to him? He said, I'll do you one better than that. He'll take you on a tour. So this guy, this engineer guy, took me in the back of Top Gun, you know, and the line was there and the ride was going. And he showed me how it was welded together. And he talked about how the train goes up and down and how it how it you know has to be a certain speed to make that bump up there and all this stuff. He's talking about how the track is connected to the train and how it needs to be slow down and how the brakes work. And he was showing me the motors, everything. It was it was fascinating, riveting, really. So Zachary Grant and Nathan, you know, these guys hanging around them all day with a few others. But these guys particularly came off the ride and I was waiting for them. And as I was touring, they were riding it. 
And so we met up at the exit. And they were like, you know, burbling. Like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. My stomach was in my throat. Hey, hey, did you see that first turn? Oh my gosh, I was dying. And they were like, yeah, I can't believe it. I was so excited. And you know what I did? Yeah, me too. And what did they say? Guys, it was a great ride, wasn't it? And they looked at me and said, how do you know? Now, that didn't happen. I rode the ride. I was just kidding. But, uh, but I'm, I'm trying to make a point here. I didn't meet the engineer. I don't even know who Steve is. I have no connections. Sorry. All right, but don't, but don't miss the point. This is the point. Listen, this is the point. Okay? If you don't ride the ride, you can't fully understand it. You can't fully know it. That's the point. There's a big difference between knowing about love and experiencing it. You may be here this morning and you've never prayed to receive Christ. I'm glad you're here. The service is for you more than more than anyone. But can we talk? Do you ever wonder? I mean, let's be honest. Do you ever wonder why Christians sing the words to songs over and over and over and then they close their eyes and some of them raise their hands or weep? Why do Christians give hundreds of dollars away cheerfully? You ever wonder why Christians slow down at certain spots when they're reading the Bible? Or why do they cry when they talk about Christ? Listen, it's not what you think. They're not duped. They're not brainwashed. They're not gullible. It's because they're thinking about God's love and experiencing it in their hearts. They're experiencing something you're not. There's a big difference between knowing about God's love and experiencing it. Again, I'm not talking about empty emotionalism. I'm not talking about that. Christ, Christian joy is made up of two essential elements. Objective truth known in the mind and subjective love experienced in the heart. That's joy. There it is. That's the rejoicing we so often miss. So if you're not a Christian, I invite you to get on the ride. Don't just settle for the tour. Learning about the ride, experience it. Open your heart. Open your heart to God right now. Nothing I say will ever make you experience God's love by itself. Admit your need for Christ. Welcome him into your life. Brothers and sisters, where is your joy? Where is your joy? Let's pray that God makes us sensitive to his love. You've not arrived yet. We have not. We're not doing it completely right yet. Pray that God makes you even more sensitive to his love. And now we close. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Father, you love us with a love that surpasses knowledge. When we think about it, your spirit pours out this love into our hearts. Thank you, God. Thank you. 
Father, you've modeled for us true love. You've shown us how to give. And so now we give with the cheerfulness that only comes from following you. The laughter of the redeemed as we give back. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.